In our previous study, Queen Esther boldly risked her life to speak with King Xerxes. But was her request granted? We'll find out today as our study of Esther continues on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and in just a moment, the Bible bus heads to the Old Testament book of Esther, chapter 5. And while you find your place in God's Word, Greg and I want to share a couple of great letters from our fellow passengers on the Bible bus. Uh, Steve, we never get tired of hearing people tell the story and this is letter month that we're coming to the end and you still have time to get us your your letter or yep. your email or your facebook post just tell us the story and we've been talking this month about referencing that old hymn i love to tell the story because mm-hmm. it is a great uh, part of the christian life isn't it it certainly is i love the line that says it satisfies my longing as nothing else can do and that's really what our relationship with yeah. jesus christ is all about yeah, and it also says, and this is one you, you talk a lot about what we'll do in heaven. And it says, I'd mm. love to tell the story, twill be my theme in, in glory. glory. And, you know, we are going to tell, I believe, a lot of stories in, in glory. And, uh, at, but speaking of hymns, Betty wrote us a really nice, uh, encouraging letter. You want to share that? Yeah, she says, I just want to let you know what comfort I get from the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. At the beginning of the program every day, At the start of the COVID quarantine, when our world seemed to turn upside down and inside out, it was hard to sleep at night. I would pray and sing hymns in my head, and it really gave me peace. As I heard your theme hymn sung every morning, I decided to memorize it too. Focusing on the words, it became my foundation for drawing closer to God. Like Dr. McGee, I can't hold a tune, but my heart and soul sing in the night. I pray it makes beautiful music before the Lord. Thank you for sharing that hymn with us. Yeah, and that hymn, and particularly that rendition of How Firm a Foundation, is just so anchored in the history of Through the Bible. I I was telling you this story. I was on YouTube trying to find uh, the name of the quartet. I believe it's the John Lundberg Quartet. And I was trying to find this, and I started reading all the comments, and they were all about Dr. McGee and, yeah. and through the Bible, and it was just like a, a wonderful time of testimony uh, that people associate that hymn with the teaching of Dr. McGee. So uh, how about this one from D. Horton in Michigan? Yeah, this one says, I'm a listener from the Detroit area. I have been for about 50 years. I'm 54 now. Wow, so he started when he was four. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. Yes. I remember my grandmother in the early 70s putting me on the couch for a nap and putting on the radio with Dr. McGee. And even in my rambunctious state of toddlerism, I would listen to the man with a southern drawl that was similar to my grandmother's. I must give credit to her and through the Bible for giving me a good compass to set my mind to, and even when I got off track, was led back on course through the great teachings. I hope to return the favor with my grandchildren. I'm so thankful for having the Word of God that is simply explained so whether four or 104, it can be understood. God is so good, and thank you for carrying on. It's truly a blessing. Wow. Wow. We have time to hear from Denise uh, from Arizona, who says, I've enclosed money for gas and tires for the Bible bus. Thanks, Denise. Uh, and she says, I'm happy to do so. I'm on the world prayer team. I know Steve's going to give you a shout yeah, out for way that. Way to go, Denise. And she says, I love the stories of what's happening around the world. So we love to tell you the stories of, of what's happening around the world, but we also need to hear your stories, too. Yep. I think we have time for one more, Steve. Yeah, this is from Anne from Wappinger Falls, New York, and she shares briefly. I love to tell the story of how God changes me every day through his word. Go ahead, just ask me. 
I guarantee you'll smile and shake your head and agree with me that only God can do all that. Wow. Go ahead. Just ask me. That's the invitation we're giving to everyone. That's great. You know, Greg, we're almost out of time. Why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, we are just rejoicing to hear the stories of your love in people's lives. And we pray that uh, we would all be faithful in telling that story. And, and now, Lord, we open your word in our hearts and we ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's our study in Esther 5 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, as we come back here to this very wonderful fifth chapter of the book of Esther, and we're at verse 5, you will recall that last time we saw this girl do a very audacious and brave thing. The die is now cast, or people are to be destroyed, unless somebody does get into the king. And certainly none of her people would be able to And she is the only hope, actually, that is on the human plane. And after all, God has placed her there by his providence. I'm sure that Esther would never have said that she was there by the will of God. In fact, she doesn't even mention the name of God. But now, why, she goes into the presence of the king and the die is cast. And you know, friends, that we all are going to stand before the king someday Every believer will stand before him to see whether we receive a reward or not. And that's the judgment seat or the bema of Christ. And then there is the great white throne where the lost will appear. And whether you're saved or lost, you're going to appear before the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. And the believer will be there to see whether he gets a reward or not. And the lost are there to be judged according to their works. Now, will you notice the king here holds out the scepter to Esther. When she stepped in there, she must have been a lovely thing to look upon. And now we can see she is a very wonderful person. He holds out the scepter of grace. And today, our Lord actually is reigning, not down here on this earth, But he's reigning in the sense that in this lost world, he holds out the scepter of grace. And we already now see how he's moving because the minute that the king saw her and held out the scepter of grace, he gives her a blank check. That is, the amount is not filled in. And he signed it. He said, half of the kingdom is yours if you want it. Anything up to that. So God's unseen hand is here, and the king recognizes that something is urgent. And so he hands her this check. And for us today, how wonderful it is. Paul could say, my God shall supply all your need. And today he's given us that kind of a blank check that he'll supply our needs. Quite wonderful, is it not, to have a wonderful king But he's more than that to us. He's a savior. He's the savior of the world. And the king now is doing all of this. Why? Because of the providence of God. Somebody says, how do you know that God's moving in his life? Well, listen to Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, you may 
think today that some of these rulers are very cruel and brutal and godless, and they are. But actually, the king's heart's in the hand of the Lord. God could squeeze it any time he wanted to, to remove him. And he can turn him just like you turn water that's running downhill. And God is moving here in a very definite way. Now, let me read five, because Esther really didn't make her request. What she did ask for is that the king and Haman come to a lunch that she's preparing. She'd let it be known there. And by the way, verse 4 here is an acrostic in the Hebrew, and it spells out the name of God. I personally wouldn't attach too much importance to that. I merely call attention to it. And so the word is sent over to Haman, and verse 5 I read now, Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. It must have been around lunchtime, and so the king blew the whistle for lunch. And he said, You get that fellow Haman over here. Now, this girl is still very timid. And notice her reaction. When they come to lunch, the king again sees that she's actually afraid and that there's something very weighty upon her mind and heart, but she's afraid to mention it. And now for the second time, listen to the king, verse 6, And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Now notice how generous and gracious he is to her. But though this must have helped a great deal. She even loses heart and doesn't make the request known. What she does is postpone it again. And in verse 7, she says, Then answered Esther, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king has said. Now let the king come to the banquet and bring Haman along, and then I'm going to let it be known tomorrow what my request is. Well, nothing more to do but finish the meal and then depart. And we read in verse 9, Now then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart, But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor trembled before him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. And I think he muttered under his breath, I'll sure get even with this fellow Mordecai. Now, what a picture we have here in verse 9 of Haman coming from the banquet. What he's saying is, I've made a hit with the queen, and she wants me to come tomorrow to a banquet. Well, this section now illustrates that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the Greeks had a proverb that went something like this, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. Now listen to him here. This man is certainly playing the fool. Listen in verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, and when he came home... He sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Why? 
He wants to do a little boasting, by the way. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Now, he had three areas that he was boasting and bragging about, and this is what men brag about today. First of all, he boasted of his riches, of how wealthy he was. And there are a great many men today that like to boast of the fact that they made so many thousand or even million of dollars during the past year, past few years. And it's very easy for a man to boast of that. And then the second thing that a man's apt to boast of is his children. And I happen to know he'll boast of his grandchildren, because that's what I do. And then the third thing that he will generally boast about is the fact that he's been promoted in the world and that he has a high position. And this man, Haman, he goes all the way. He boasts in all three of these areas. Now, verse 12. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself, and Amara am I invited unto her also with the king. In other words, here's another thing that men boast of. I'm a ladies' man. And that is what Haman is saying. He's very human, is he not? As well as being an outstanding rascal and a villain. Now, all of this here were the things that he had on the credit side of the ledger. But he had one little fly in the ointment that bothered him and just weighed down the others. This is the debit side. Verse 13, he says, Yet all this availeth me nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So as long as I see him sitting there as a petty judge... Why, I'm disturbed. And again, I must call attention to the fact that this man with his wounded spirit here reveals that little things make him angry. And as we've already indicated before, we generally reveal what kind of a person we are by the things that we let annoy us. And certainly this man here is letting these little things annoy him. And that certainly is a mark of a little person. Now let's move on here. And we see, Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallus be made of fifty cubits high. And tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged on it. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Now, what is happening when he came home from work that evening? He called in his friends and his wife, and he boasted about all of these things. But he said, there's one little thing that annoys me, and it just spoils everything else. It's the fly in the ointment. And that's that little fellow Mordecai. Well, Zeresh, and she's a pretty nice wife, is she not, to have around to make a suggestion like this, says, why don't you make a gallus 50 cubits high? Now, remember, Mordecai means little. He was a short fellow. Probably our nickname today would be shorty. Well, why in the world do you need a gallus 50 cubits high? It's interesting that bitterness and hatred 
lead human beings to do low things, terrible things, and they vent their spleen and they vent their bitterness and hatred. And so they build a gallus 50 cubits high. And so immediately has them start on that. And all during that night, why, you could hear the sound of the hammer in Shushan as these gallows were being built. It's unusual, I guess, for folk to work at night, but all during that night, the gallows were built. Now we come to chapter 6, and our subject here is a king who could not sleep at night. This king here had a very restless night indeed. And we want to look at this now. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to be brought the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, this seems to be a trifle. doesn't seem to be very important indeed, but this is a sleepless night for the king, and I'm of the opinion he'd had many of them. And the ruler that day, and I'm of the opinion that there are many of them Today, Shakespeare put it, heavy hangs the head that wears the crown. And he probably felt like his life was in jeopardy most of the time. But that night he couldn't sleep, and he couldn't get back to sleep after he waked up. And so he called for the chronicles to be read to him. That is, the minutes of the kingdom, the log. That would give you the day-by-day happenings in the kingdom. Now, I'm of the opinion that they were extremely boring indeed, sort of like the minutes of board meetings of church. By the way, I've always felt that that expression, a meeting of the board, is about right because there's nothing as boring as a board meeting. I tell you, I went through years of that. They start in, the chairman calls the meeting to order, and we have a little season of prayer. And you hear the same prayers you've heard for years, and nothing creative, nothing new. And then after that, we have the reading of the minutes. It's bad enough to go to the meeting, and you'd like to forget it, but you've got to have the thing read last month's meeting. And that's very boring. Minutes could put you to sleep. I could see that. And in view of the fact that the king couldn't call for an aspirin tablet, why he calls now for these minutes. And I don't think the reading of these would go very long till he dropped off to sleep because I'm sure they were rather boring. But this time, the man who read, the secretary, I guess, one of his servants that was in the habit of reading to him, and I'm sure he had a sing-song voice that was inclined to put you to sleep, why, he just happened to turn to a certain place. Did I say happened to turn to a certain place? No, you see that little things now are beginning to pile up and they reveal that God's hand is in the glove of human circumstance. He's moving it. And we see the overruling and overriding providence of God here. Now, it wasn't an accident that this girl Esther became queen. That's obvious now. And it's no accident that she found favor in his sight. It's no accident that she is now gone in and her request has been granted, that is, for him to come to a banquet. But the night before, he's not able to sleep. So they bring the chronicles in. The secretary turns to a certain place, not by accident. God, by his providence, is overruling. 
Now notice what happened. The king, I think, sat up because this was something that he'd forgotten about, and he asked a question. Now let me read verse 2 of chapter 6 of Esther. It was found, written, that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants who minister unto him, There has nothing been done for him. The secretary looked back on the back page, and he looked at another page. He said, well, there's nothing here. And the king recognized that this man had done him a real service, this man Mordecai, and he wants him rewarded now. Now, while all of this is going on in the palace, why, there's a knock outside. And the king said, who is in the court? There was noise out there, someone coming in. Now, Haman was coming to the outer court of the king's house. You see, he wants to get this man Mordecai slain. And he's up early, too. He had trouble sleeping that night. Two things are on his mind. He wants to eliminate Mordecai now, and he also wants to tend the banquet that Esther's putting on. And these two things are inclined to keep you awake at night. And so he hadn't slept much, and he's there early in the morning. And he'd come in order to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he'd prepared for him. Now we see two circumstances brought together, not by accident, but by the providence of God. Here it was read in the minutes that this man, Mordecai, had bestowed a great favor upon the king, and he hadn't been rewarded. The king's going to see to it that he's rewarded. But also, in the background, there's something else. Haman wants him killed, and he's in to request that Mordecai be put to death. So you're going to have conflict here. Now notice what happens. Haman had access, easy access to the king, and so they let him in, and the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. This man had easy access to the king, by the way. He's his prime minister. And it was obvious that he had something important on his mind. At least he thought it was. So Haman came in. Now, before Haman can even get to his request, the king begins to talk. After all, he had the first word. And the king said unto him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now, he just asked Haman for his advice. Now, he says, if there's a man in the kingdom, and there's one that I'd delight to honor, what do you think ought to be done for it? And, of course, the king has in mind Mordecai, but Haman has somebody else in mind. Now, Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? He's thinking of himself. And he recognizes that he occupies this very wonderful position. And so he thinks, well, now what the king wants to do really is to honor me with something special. I've been invited to dinner. So notice what he says. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. 
let the royal apparel be brought which the king is accustomed to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. Now, we are stopping again at a very breathtaking time. What's going to happen here? Well, we'll have to wait till next time, but as you read this, have you suddenly discovered, as you've read this, that there is a plot back of the request even of Haman. We'll see that next time. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Proverbs sixteen eighteen tells us that pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Is that what's happening to Haman? Well, find out next time as Dr. McGee takes us deeper into the Old Testament book of Esther. If you want to invite someone along for the journey, why don't you point them to ttb.org forward slash Esther or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can answer your questions about this fruitful ministry. And remember to celebrate Letter Month with us by writing one yourself. Tell us why you love to tell the story. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save a seat on the Bible bus just for you next time. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.